Welcome back to the Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And we have just finished watching episode six, episode seven, Realization Time. It aired uh, May 17th, 1990, the first time, and we were busy not watching it. We hope you had a lovely holiday, if you celebrate, and a lovely Monday, if you don't. Did you have a lovely holiday? I had a lovely holiday. There was um, lots of food and wine. So much wine. Friends and wine and smoke and Wine. wine. Yeah. Mostly wine. And that's one of the reasons why we didn't realize that our room was nearly on fire, our dining it room. It wasn't on fire, it but was it was very smoky. But yeah. I was too drunk to notice. Yes, you were too drunk to notice. Too drunk? And that's the best kind of drunk to be. And today, our episode is brought to you by Coke Zero. And butter chicken. And there's been no butter chicken. He's there should have been. And canela, which is gross, but I'm drinking it anyway. I I won't take that personally. Uh, I'm still sick. You're still still a little sick. Mm -hmm. Our roommates are both sick. So, yeah. Hope nobody who came over yesterday gets sick because of us. That would suck. And we do have to issue a correction. Uh, Lemuel brought... I made a mistake. Fun trivia to the episode last time. All of which was wrong. And let well none of it was true. All of it was true, none of it applied. All of it was true sometimes. Uh, yes. So we erroneously stated that I erroneously stated, you just agreed with me. You're right. That Caleb Deschanel illus- er, directed the episode last week. Um, that is not true. He directed today's episode. So remember when we were talking about the natural and his use of light? Yeah. Plug that in right here. Got it? Good. <laughs> um, I do think that it makes more sense with this. Uh, this was a better use of his skill mm-hmm. than last week's would have been. So we should... Oh, who directed last week's? Uh, Leslie Linka Gleiter. Glatter? Glatter. Wow. I think it's a made-up name. We apologize for thinking you are Caleb Deschanel and then probably spelling or pronouncing your name wrong. It's certainly... Pronouncing your name wrong. We apologize. Mea culpa. Mea maxima culpa. So this week's episode is realization time, wherein apparently we realize things. Did you realize anything? I realize I have no idea what's going on. Mm. And that this show is almost almost as much straight-faced comedy as it is a mystery. What comedy were you getting I didn't laugh a single time? Um... Well, I don't want to give anything away before we have to talk okay. about it. Okay, well, tell me when I should have laughed. It involved a bird. Oh. Because it was done with such seriousness. Yeah, that was, that was so sad. <laughs> All right, can you read the episode synopsis, please? Episode 6, Realization Time. Agent Cooper goes undercover at One-Eyed Jacks, along with Big Ed Hurley, to try to find his chief murder suspect, Jacques Renault. Unbeknownst to Cooper, however... Audrey Horn, too, is undercover as a hostess. Meanwhile, Maddie, Donna, and James engage in a scheme to fool Dr. Jacoby and steal a tape recorded by Laura prior to her death, and Bobby, still jealous about Laura having an affair, sets out to ruin James. 
So that's all the things that happened in the last 10 minutes of this episode. Right, exactly. That's so weird. They forgot about the first 30 minutes of this well, episode. Well, the opening scene is very important. Well, yes. We open on a abashed detective turning down a young lady. Um, Cooper is talking Audrey down, trying to get her to believe that what she does... What, or what she needs is a friend, not a man friend. So he is studiously faced away from her, sitting on the bed, but faced away from her nude form, although she's got the, the sheets up. Well, like this is do. television in the 1990s, yes. so yes. <laughs> um, It'd be another 10 years before you could get away with that one. And, uh, you know, saying, oh, you're very desirable, but I... I'm a man of the law, and when you become an FBI agent, you make certain vows. I, I don't think that that's accurate, but he, that's fine. It looked like, or he sounded as if he was speaking about the priesthood or something. It, he did. Um, and he, you know, lets her know that, no, 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 of course he does want her, but it wouldn't be prudent, and what she needs is a friend. And so he goes to pick up some malts while she puts her clothes back on. Malts and french fries. Malts and french fries. Protein and sugar. Yum. There's no protein involved in any of that. There's no protein French fries? No. This explains That's why I'm pre-diabetic, right? Yep. Okay, well, there we go. Protein is a meat thing and oh. a some plant thing. Next you'll be telling me there's thing. no protein in chocolate chip cookies. Yep, that oh. will be the next thing I tell you. And so we assume then that she puts her clothes back on in the talk. We don't know because that is where we leave them. The next thing we've seen is um, Andy walking into the sheriff's station um, trying to get Lucy to not call him by his last name. And she's like, it's the busy time of the morning. It's not really good and convenient for me to talk to you right now. Oh, the phone is ringing. And then he leaves. And on the phone, the doctor, who tells her some bad news, my guess is... Here we go. Pregnant with dumb Andy's baby. Sad about it. Well, we understand that it probably is not a wanted pregnancy. Um, having judged from the way that he can somehow fire his gun by dropping it out of his belt, uh, we understand how this happened. Yeah, right. Um, so misfire. Misfire. Yes, exactly. As a matter of fact, that was exactly what I thought watching the scene with the misfire. And we do know, or we should say that we don't know 100% that that is actually what is happening, but it's it's very much intended for us to believe that right. that is what is happening. Um, and then in the conference room, Truman and Doc Hayward are trying to get Waldo, the minor bird, to start talking. Uh, they mimic, and um, they know it was there, or they believe it was there, the night that Laura and Ronette were there, um, they think it might have something to say to them. And so Cooper leaves the tape recorder, which is voice activated, in case the bird starts talking while no one is there. So Cooper leaves his tape recorder, which is voice activated, in case the bird decides to start talking. Um, and he says that they have to find Jacques, who he thinks is at One-Eyed Jack's, um, no, we haven't seen Jacques at this point, yes? We've seen him once uh -huh. when he was walking up to the yeah. okay. uh, the thing and got the red light hint from his brother. Okay. And then 
ran down the road and called Leo. Okay. Um, but when we, we do see him later in the episode, and I did not recognize right, him. Exactly. So, so one eye Jax is in Canada, which means he has no jurisdiction. Um, so, this is a job for the Bookhouse Boys. I mean, okay. <laughs> I, that's not better jurisdiction. I don't know. <laughs> I just love how um, happily he turns to aid to a vigilante organization slash oh, yeah. secret society to help him. Yes, because he swore several oaths when he got into the FBI. But those oaths only involve beautiful teenage girls. Well, not, no, 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 uh, no. Some of them apparently involve mm -hmm. using any means necessary when getting some Canadian information, including, well, you know, secret societies and wigs and fake mustaches. Which was my favorite part of the episode. Yes. So the next thing we see is Leo, and we're like, oh, right, he got shot. Oh, probably looks like just in his arm. So he is sitting in a truck with a gun. A rifle. Right. Watching his house, and we see Bobby sort of skipping up to the house, and he's like, mm, Briggs, or whatever. And he picks up the rifle and puts the sight to his eyes and just waits for him to come out. Like, it's going to be that. Like it's not going to take a very long time for this visit to happen or something. And then Bobby goes into the house, and Shelly is freaking out, and it's like, I shot him. I know I hit him. He says he's going to kill me. He sounded like an animal. And she is, you know, bawling. Mm -hmm. She's doing some real good cry acting. Um, it's a lost art. She's like, he's out in the woods and he says he's going to kill me. So I don't know why she's still there. Yeah, I would imagine she would get up and leave. Get out. Because obviously Bobby is not the man to protect her. Well, even if he was... You are a sitting duck. Mm -hmm. What are you doing? Go somewhere. Anywhere. Literally anywhere else. Besides this house in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by woods, that he knows real well. Like, what right. are you doing? Oh, so Bobby says, what is he? He says, I'm going to take care of, I think he literally says, like, you and Leo and James. And I'm like, mm, all of those things mean different things. Right. Not all in the same way. <laughs> yes. And keeps referring to himself as Bobby. Don't talk about yourself in the third person. It's not cute. So Leo's outside just now knowing that Bobby is the one that Shelly's been doing. So he's sitting there waiting to blow him away, presumably, when he comes right. out of this thing. But he's got a, a scanner on. Right. That's the part that puzzles me at first. How does he know what the police are up to? Because he's listening to a scanner. Right. And we hear Lucy come through his radio saying... There's, he hears her talking to the bird. So I don't know why she'd be putting that out over the police scanner. Well, my, what I'm puzzled about is that there, it seems like every place in this town is bugged. Yeah. The, the entire show revolves around some form of eavesdropping yeah, or another. I assumed that he was listening to a police scanner so mm -hmm. he'd hear... Right, that Where was the, the part that, yeah, I meant were. to ask you. Like, how, is he, how does he know what's going on there? But about he's, the bird? He, he's listening to her talking to Waldo the bird. Mm -hmm. And then he just packs up his stuff and goes because he thinks that Waldo could talk at any moment. She so he's going to go. Someone. He's going to go take care of the bird. But that's like first thing in the morning. Right. And then the bird doesn't. Well, we'll see. 
We'll get there. <laughs> it seems a lot later. I don't know what Leo's doing. That's mm-hmm. all I'm saying. Then we're over at Donna's house, and um, Maddie and Donna and James are listening to the cassette tape that she had found in Laura's bed. It's it's unsettling. Now, we've already heard one of these tapes because mm-hmm. we heard Dr. Jacoby listening to the one that he got that was recorded the last night she was alive. Right. And that figures um, into it as well. Yes. But Laura's talking about having big, bad dreams as well as naked dreams, the kind you like, like shamelessly flirting and manipulating this, uh, Dr. Jacoby, or at least trying to. I don't know how successful she really is. Right. They find an empty tape case labeled February 23rd, which is the night that she died. So they assume that he's got the final tape, which he does. It was sent to him. Right. They think that Jacoby had something to do with her death. And so they want to get the tape and sort of see if it has incriminating evidence on it. And James has a plan, and James's plan is real dumb, but it's James's plan. He's not he's not the the brightest bulb. Right. Probably. In a town of dim bulbs. Uh, yeah. We bounce over to the horn department store, so we assume it's afternoon after right. school, right? Um, Audrey is working at the perfume counter, and she is terrible at it. <laughs> She's like, take this, it smells like pine. Nobody wants to smell like pine, or trees, or something. Mm. And the woman's like, I want to smell like flowers. And Audrey just doesn't even listen to her, and she's like, I want to make a statement. And Audrey doesn't listen to her, and she's like, why don't you wear this around your neck? It's jewelry and perfume. A double <laughs> statement. Like, what is your, like, like you've been doing this for a day and you're aggravated by it? She's already, already bored by it. Like, it's crazy. Audrey is, and this episode emphasizes that as well, everyone in this episode is a junior detective. They're all getting in on the act. They're all getting in the act of detecting. Right. And it's, it all goes horribly wrong. Well, All yeah. of them. All of their investigations, except maybe for Agent Cooper, the one professional in the whole group. What concept? But, uh, but yes, all of the people, even sh- the sheriff, as we learn later on, is getting involved in uh, yeah. investigating something that he does clearly is completely out of his depth. But, yeah, that scene, it's a scene where she goes about her... Well, she, we haven't... Right. Yeah. So she's bad at the perfume counter, so she's like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And because the other girl at the perfume counter, the... Uh, the boss had just said, come to my office in five minutes or whatever. And so she goes, she tells a kid that's working right outside of the supervisor's office that there's a bit of bad accident, maybe with a bus. So he goes to investigate. Um, And she goes into the supervisor's office, takes a cigarette, lights it, and then gets in his closet, full sized closet with slatted doors like he has a, like he's in a teenage girl's bedroom and she starts smoking and eavesdropping right. now there were two people working at the perfume counter it was Audrey and this girl Jenny Jenny comes into the supervisor's office and Audrey is also in the supervisor's office who's at the perfume counter doing the any. work well I, I just like the idea that had you seen it from the outside and said pity that they didn't do this 
what you would have seen is smoke tendrils smoke coming out from the slats yes in these doors and then just wondered what's going on in there so the supervisor is talking to this young woman jenny who went up to one eye jacks the previous weekend um he gives her a little glass unicorn he describes what a unicorn is so that's a different world right and uh you know, says if you if you want, you know, you can keep working up at One Eye Jacks, and you could be a hostess, or you could be a server, or you could be a unicorn, or you could be. What did what did he call a hospitality girl? Yeah. What and she's like, what's that? And he's like, oh, they escort wealthy VIPs, and she's like, oh, well, that sounds good as long as they're wealthy. She is not of the highest moral fiber, this young woman. No. She knows what she wants, and she wants the dollars. So, I mean, get it, girl. I guess. I hope you don't die. <laughs> like, <laughs> I ain't saying she's a gold digger. Um, and then he says, let's go buy you an elegant dress. Right. So he's going to buy her, apparently, a dress from the, the junior miss section of the horn department store. Then we go over to the diner. Hank is there... Talking to Shelly, Shelly sort of inadvertently drops that Ed's been by a lot and helping out a lot because Hank's like, oh, I know that you were really here for her and I really appreciate that. And, and also, uh, uh, Pete? And Shelly's like, Pete? Do you mean Ed? You must mean Ed. Of course he means Ed. <laughs> Way to give Ed up. Also... You look awfully good for a girl who's scared for her life. What the fuck? <laughs> like, <laughs> they just don't let that affect that. Her professional she didn't, demeanor. Right. Nothing. No. It does not say, I just shot my husband. No. Nope. And, and I'm concerned he might show up at any right. time. She got to work on time. I mean, she's a reliable employee. I'll she's give her that. She's a professional. I actually wish that some of the people I worked with were <laughs> as professional as Shelly was. And then uh, Cooper and Truman show up. And Truman sort of. It's like, hey, Hank, if you don't see your parole officer every Friday, then I'm going to put you back in jail. And Hank's like, eat a dick. I mean, he didn't say that, but he kind of said that. And then he, Shelly, bright-eyed, offers <laughs> Cooper and Truman some coffee. Would you like some cup, a cup of coffee? And she goes to get cups of coffee. At no point deciding to tell the sheriff and the FBI agent that she done shot her husband and he might be able to kill her. Because Bobby, he's totally got it covered. Bobby has it covered. He's in control. It's totally fine. Harry says they have to run, but Cooper is like, no, 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 no. I'm going to let you in on a little secret every day, once a day. Give yourself a present. Don't plan it. Don't wait for it. Just let it happen. It could be a new shirt, like a catnip, a catnap in your office chair, or two cups of good hot black coffee, and then they sit and drink the coffee. And I'm like, or an 18-year-old in your bed. <laughs> the best gift you can give yourself. Uh, he did not, though. Uh, we don't as far as assume. we know. Right. Yes. Um, and then we go over and we're in Ed's house and we see Nadine. We haven't seen Nadine in a while. And she's watching uh, Invitation to Love because, you know, she's alive in Twin Peaks. Uh, and it's a time, so Invitation to Love must be on. <laughs> right, and that's something that you pointed out. We're not really aware where this is being broadcast from, because nope. it seems to be on at all times of the all day. All the time. 
and going on continuously, like it's some sort on of... On every ca- channel. You know, <laughs> Canadian telenovela or something. Yes. It's just on all the all time. All the time. And it is very much like a telenovela. Right. And she's eating bonbons, chocolate bonbons, which I think... I never knew what a bonbon was. Like, to me, a bonbon was like ice cream mm-hmm. with chocolate around it. I thought it was marshmallow or something. I don't know. This just looked like chocolate, like seeds. Mm-hmm. I was right. also eating bonbons earlier today. They were key lime and delicious. I don't... Mm-hmm. I don't know. Key lime. And she's sad because the patent attorney, her attorney rejected her uh, silent drape runners. And Ed's like... No, no, you'll you'll make it. There are other patent attorneys out there, and um, she just wanted to do nice things for them, like buy them a boat and a new TV. Right. Which is very sweet, actually. I, I don't know that I believe her. I she's she's a very unstable creature. Yes, I one hundred percent believe that that woman would have bought a boat if she won the lottery. She'd also buy a boat. She's a boat buyer. Mark my words. It's like a boat person to you. Um, and then, meanwhile, Sheriff Truman uh, drops by Josie's and asks her what she was doing at the motel the other day. And she's like, Tuesday? I was at the mill. And he's like, mm, Hawk saw you at the uh, motel, which she was really snapping exactly. pictures. Uh, we had seen her. Um, and then she sort of fesses up Sort of. To part of her plot. To part of it. Um, she says that she's been stalking uh, Ben and Catherine um, since she overheard them talking about an accident and a fire. And she's taking pictures of them. Um, and he shows her, or she shows him the pictures that she took. And she's like, I'm not going to let them, you know, take me down like this. I'm not going to do it. And he's like, I'm going to protect you and I'm going to keep you safe and... Now, what was your take on that scene? I don't know. Because I think it w- she was telling the... She was telling some of the truth. Right. Like, she did take those pictures. She was... But, but we don't know what her ultimate end goal is. Or the partnership, the strange partnership that we saw. Right. Well, I have other ideas about that, but right. we'll get to them in a minute. But... Unfortunately, Truman is going to believe what she says regardless. Like, she's got him wrapped totally up. Then we go to the lobby of the hotel, and Mm -hmm. Cooper comes down, dressed to the nines, tucked out, uh, ready to go to One-Eyed Jacks with Ed. In a very clever disguise. (laughs) Ed looks great. No, 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 no. We I don't mean see it Cooper. yet. Oh. His disguise is very clever. What do you mean? <laughs> he wears a pair of glasses. Oh, yeah, and just a, a pair of glasses. <laughs> it's just a pair of glasses. Worked for Clark Kent. And then, yeah, um, Ed's wearing a red shirt, and I'm going to say a bolo tie. It feels bolo tie appropriate. The whole right? outfit feels like a bolo tie. Um, I like a bolo tie. I love mm-hmm. a bolo tie. Truman pulls Cooper aside before they get going mm-hmm. and uh, says he's scared for Josie, and Cooper's like... Do you really think she's telling you the whole truth? And Ed Truman's like, I love her. I believe everything she says. <laughs> Cooper is very intuitive. Yes. And so I think that he knows that something... He probably knows there's more... He, well, how can I put it? He's probably aware of a lot more than we know that he's aware of. Right. So then there's a cut, and we go over to the Martell house, or the mm-hmm. the Packard house. I don't know. 
Pete and Catherine and Josie all live there in a weird conglomeration. And Catherine is, gets a visit from an insurance broker because the policy that was just taken out didn't have all five signatures. It only had four, um, which he then says he held one back because he thought he wanted to meet her and he thought it was fishy that she wasn't sort of involved in, in prepping the um, policy. Mm-hmm. And so we see that there's a million-dollar policy on Catherine's life with Josie Packard as the beneficiary, signed off by her. Um, ben Horn had said that he would get the signatures that were required mm-hmm. um, because she was so busy doing what I'm not exactly sure, but that just felt hinky, I guess, to this insurance broker. And for good reason, everyone is up to something. Well, yeah, and a million dollar policy. Right. And the person on, on who the policy is for doesn't have anything to do with the right with the drafting of the policy. Yeah, that seems suspect. Um, and so I guess it goes into in, it. It's supposed to go into effect that night. And she's like, "Oh no, of course I knew about it." Like she doesn't right. break, she but doesn't she's like. You know, I think there were a couple of more changes I wanted my attorney to go ahead and do. So let me hold on to this, and I'll initial the changes and send this over to you tomorrow. Which means the insurance policy is a no-go. I repeat, we have a no-go on the insurance policy. We're back at the uh, sheriff's station. Cooper and Ed are preparing for the undercover trip. Uh, They're getting wired up, and then they hear a shot. Mm -hmm. So it's nighttime. Right. So it's nighttime. <laughs> um, the wired up, you, you neglected to mention the most amusing part of the scene. What? Which is the really 50s era boys' own detective kit that they had. Oh, I didn't even. With a variety of mustaches to it and wigs. And See, I don't even remember seeing that part. It just Ed's after mm. where he looked like John Oates, Oates, with the hair and the mustache. All right. And they hear a, a gunshot go. Right. And they're like, better go check that out, I guess. And they all go across the station. Mm, no one's got a gun drawn. Hey, guys, someone has a gun. Maybe all three of you should have your guns out. Oh, I guess that doesn't have a gun. But the other two should certainly have their guns out. Um, Truman might, but Cooper does it. But maybe he's not bringing his gun to the... To the casino, No. But that I th- seems... I think at some point they're going to pat you down entering into a place with that much money. So Maybe. it might be a bad idea to carry... You um. might be right about that. Um, and so then <laughs> we just see... The first thing we see is a bunch of donuts with blood all over them. Right. <laughs> it's so Which messed to up. me is actually terribly funny. Um, because the birdcage was right over the display of donuts that Lucy does every day. And so... Just, it's not jelly. It's bird blood. Um, that scene worked for me, though. I thought it was terribly funny. It w- I mean, It yeah. reminded me, because it was shot with all the seriousness of a scene out of, like, um, JFK or something. You know, the off-screen assassination, they pull out the rifle, and then there's the hitting yeah. target. But I want to know, like, just time-wise. Right. So Leo totally shot that bird, right? We're guessing that he shot the bird, yeah. Where he been all day? 
I, I don't know. Maybe that was the only opportunity I had to get the bird alone because people then before that Lucy out? was talking to the bird because yes, Cooper was, is playing back the recordings. Well, well, yes. So that's the thing. Cooper plays back the recordings, and, and we hear the bird. Right. Um, he he rewinds the tape indeterminate lengths because right. the first time it seems it went like three seconds, and the next time it seems room, it yeah. went three hours. It's very unclear how the tape works. Um, but Waldo's last words, which included Waldo mimicking Laura's voice, saying things like, you're hurting me, stop it, and Leo, no. So Leo's going to be in trouble. But yeah, I think it was honestly the first time he had alone with it. But he could, then he should have stayed at his own house for another 15 minutes and then killed Bobby. When the tape recordings were going on, um, the first things that we really hear, aside from hearing immediately Cooper's voice when he enters the room, right. is to hear Lucy talking to the bird. And there's more than one stop of Lucy just chatting up the bird. Right. Well, and she I, needs to talk to somebody. I half expected her to tell the bird that she was pregnant, and that's how we were going to find out. So, we still have to listen to all of the tapes, right. so it's possible it's in there. But, yeah, because she seems to have been just speaking to the bird all day long, and maybe that was the first time they got the bird alone, and that's why he chose to, chose to shoot it just then. It just seems crazy that it took him, right. like, 12 hours or something, like, some obscene amount of time. Um... So Cooper and Ed arrive at One-Eyed Jack, start pretending to be oral surgeons, as long as Ed can remember that, and that he Ed does not remember right when a gas station. They give their names as Fred and Barney. <laughs> really? Yeah. They, oh, you know what we didn't talk about? What? Earlier, Audrey, when she had gotten done listening to the meeting between Jenny and the boss. Mm -hmm. She stops Jenny and says, oh, you know, did you get one of these little unicorns? Did he have this little talk with you? I did a really dumb thing and I forgot the name of, or or I lost the phone number to, was it Black Rose? I can't remember her name, but something Um, equally suggested. I think it's Black Rose. And can I get that phone number from you? So she took the knowledge that she gained from the meeting and just pretended that she basically had the same meeting. She'd make a great FBI agent. Previously. Because she weaseled the information out of the other clerk really easily. Yeah, and so she gets the phone number so she can call and sort of set herself up at one Eye Jacks, which, I mean, they're all going to end up there and it's going to be a... Well, it's going to be a mess because her dad... Her dad's going to show up. And her uncle frequent that place. Yes. Um, but so, did get her the interview. So she's got an interview. That's mm-hmm. going to come up in a bit, but that's how she got it. She sort of, she right. worked the other cashier, who, to be fair, isn't putting up a lot of roadblocks. Right. There's no reason that she wouldn't believe that Audrey had the same conversation. Well, there's also a moment that we didn't mention, which is Audrey in the lobby right before Cooper shows up to meet Big Ed. And um, Audrey is waiting there, trying to get a hold of Agent Cooper. Is she calling from the lobby? I couldn't figure out where yeah. she was. She, so was. she kept trying to call Cooper. She just misses him. Because they just, I mean, it's a very kind of stagey scene. He exits stage left, and she comes in stage right. Um, and is trying to find him. So I don't think that she would have, she has some sort of plan that she's cooking up. And she wanted to get Cooper's advice on it, I think. Maybe. And... 
decides when she can't get a hold of him to go through with it and try to to do it. Right. So Cooper and Ed are out at One Eyed Jacks, um, and they decide to get some gambling on. Um, Ten thousand dollars. Yeah, he's got ten thousand dollars of FBI money, and every time he takes FBI money, he likes to return ten to fifteen percent profit. He, uh, they start by meeting Blackie, mm-hmm. a woman who comes up to them, who appears to be a madam. I mean, yeah. she seems to be in charge of the place. Like, well, she's li- she's the same woman who conducts the interview for. Um, yes, she yeah, does. Okay. Yes, um, so, but we don't know that yet. Right. So, but she seems to be like. We have seen her before, though. She looks different. I wasn't sure it was the same woman right. that we'd seen earlier. Earlier. Uh, it probably is. And then they end up back at the casino. Uh, they split up. Um, Cooper goes to play some blackjack, and Ed goes to play some craps. Um, and then uh, Cooper, you know, Ed doesn't do so great, so he comes over to the blackjack table to see how Cooper is doing. And Cooper's up. <laughs> He's like, don't worry. He says, do I have to pay you back? And uh, Cooper says, don't worry, we'll just take it out of my winnings. So Cooper's doing fine at the blackjack table. And uh, the dealer for blackjack taps out, and Jacques Renault comes in as a blackjack At which point dealer. Big Ed has to make himself scarce. Yeah, I guess he leaves maybe the table because and then maybe he's afraid that he might be recognized. He might be recognized, yeah. And if he and he wasn't playing, right. so um, most most places don't love you to have a buddy <laughs> hanging out at the table but not playing either. So, but yeah, I think um, because he's been at the Roadhouse several times. Well, we also um, when the madam meets Big Ed, there's a really weird and slightly vulgar exchange of sexual metaphors. I don't know that you could call it vulgar. It's happening in a brothel. Well, I don't yeah, think anything but that happens in I a brothel make up can be kind of, you know, I could I mean about half of what they were suggesting. Yeah, it was, they had mixed, so many mixed <laughs> metaphors. Very strange metaphors. Because he was like, oh, I own a garage. Oh, no, wait, I'm an oral surgeon. Oh, I could work on your gums because I'd like to look under your hood. Like, it was like, right. oh, what? <laughs> Are you even saying right now? And then, oh, and then we go. Yeah, so I'm going. I'm not sure these people actually know how it works because they're no, describing they things that works. are so strange. They just do. Or they maybe don't I don't know how it, it works. There are strange things going on that I've never heard of. I don't, well, yeah, because they do. They don't talk about it. None of the, neither of these people seem like big talkers. Um, back at the Great Northern, Jerry is uh, still partying with Iceland. Um, Ben is like, are they going to sign this deal? Like, have they signed this deal? Are they going to sign this deal? And Jerry's like, oh, they want to do it. They want to party and have a signing party at One-Eyed Jacks. And he's like, how the fuck do they know about One-Eyed Jacks? Now, when we first heard about the Icelanders, Ben's idea was to take them to One-Eyed Jacks if they needed loosening up, which clearly they don't. But Jerry apparently let it slip that this was a possibility. And so he's like, Put them in the van. We're going to do this thing. So they're headed to One-Eyed Jacks now. So Ben's going with There's his brother. There's this convergence of people. Um, and then Maddie meets James and Donna at the park. She snuck out. She had a wig and a bag. She snuck out past Leland. We've got one shot of Leland looking 
haggard on the couch sitting in the dark. It was very upsetting. Um, and then Maddie puts on a blonde wig and they take a little video of her with today's newspaper and then get that over to Dr. Jacoby and then she calls Dr. Jacoby from a payphone and says, you know, and does her best Laura he 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 impression. Well, she's repeating the dialogue from the tape. Right. And um, he's like, this isn't, you know, this isn't Laura. And they're like, go to the door. And then he gets this video, puts it in, watches it. And he's like, where are you? Or whatever. And she says she's at the same cross, I can't remember the name of it, 21 and something. Uh, starts with an S. She, so he watches the video again and sees a gazebo. He says, gazebo. And I'm like, mm, I don't know what that means. There's only one gazebo in town. Uh, maybe. That actually might be true. Yeah. Um, and so then he rushes out. Now, then James and Donna leave Maddie in her blonde wig at a park and go over to Jacoby's house. When he leaves, they go up the stairs to look in his apartment for the missing tape. Right. Then Bobby sneaks up and puts something in James's gas tank. I don't know what it is, cocaine or sugar, one of the two. Um, it's a bag of white right. powder. Um, I don't know if he's trying to get him busted or trying to explode him. I, I can't. <laughs> It, yeah, I kind of get the sense of he was trying to cause a wreck. or Yeah, because I think that would probably make more sense. Unless he was planning to call the police and report him, and this is part of the master plan right. that he's created. I, who knows? Right. Yeah, so I don't know what he put in there. And then he was like, bye, James, or something like that. Right. Um, and then we cut back to One-Eyed Jacks, where Audrey is turning in her application to work as a hospitality girl to Blackie. She says her name is Hester Prynne, and she's worked at a <laughs> right. bunch of places that don't exist. Although one of the things was Calgary Stampede from uh, 87 to 89, which made me laugh, because thanks to a podcast I listen to um, called Stop Podcasting Yourself, I know what the Calgary Stampede is. It's like this huge rodeo thing, but it's also like a lot of dudes in a, in a small place for a, like a week or something. Right. And so I'm sure there were there are working girls that go there specifically for that time period. And I was just like, that's some Canadian specific shit that's happening right, right now. And then Blackie like crumples up her thing and throws it, throws it away. And she's like, uh, I read the Scarlet Letter when I was in high school just like you. Like, right. Um, well, Hester Prynne, it was such a dead giveaway. I, yeah. It was, and it was ridiculous because it was very much like a teenage girl trying to... Right. And who yeah, thought, She was patting herself on the so back for being so clever. Specific. Right. All right. Um, and she says, give me one reason I shouldn't airmail your bottom back to civilization. Audrey takes uh, or a cherry from Blackie's drink and then ties a knot in the stem. No hands. Good enough. Hands well, free. Yes, in her, in, with, her, with her tongue. Well, I mean, that's the suggestion. And Blackie's like, fucking welcome. <laughs> I guess we're doing this thing. And then, oh, Sparkwood in 21 is where Jacoby is supposed to meet, quote, Laura, unquote. Right. There's just one um, gazebo in Twin Parks, or Twin Peaks at Easter Park. So that's, where Jacoby is going, which is where Maddie actually is. 
all by herself with right. a blonde wig on. So hmm, that's good. Um, Bobby drops something into the gas tank. And then we flash back to a scene that looks like somebody watching right. Maddie. Or, like, it looks like there's movement. It looks like we're looking through a character's eyes, but we or don't know. Or we could know. be looking through a camera. We could be looking through a camera. And we, and we sort of pan across and see Maddie and the gazebo. And right. Maddie and the gazebo. And Maddie and the gazebo. And so, we don't know. We don't know. Um, and that's the... And we have many realizations. There was a lot of plot in this one. There was. There was and my, my big hang-up, other than what the fuck was Leo doing all day, uh, should have just killed Bobby and got it over. <laughs> you were really focused on um, how he accounts for his time. Well, because, yeah. Right, well. You got shot last night. You mad today. And you spent 12 hours... Waiting for your chance to pick off a no, bird at a police that station. He's the one killing the bird. I'm. Uh, w- no, of course we're not certain. But it's somebody outside with a rifle. He had right. one. He's left as soon as he heard that that bird was a going concern. So does that make him a bigger suspect now? The fact that he, if it is him, he's so concerned with killing the bird that might give him away. Well, he's my biggest suspect still. Right. And also the fact that the bird goes, Leo, no. <laughs> It's fine. Um, but then Josie... Oh, and we do see a quick scene of um, Ben, right before Ben gets on the party van to go to One-Eyed Jack's, he calls Josie at the mill house and says, is Catherine there? She says, no. So Catherine is out because now she's like realizing that she's being double-crossed and right, it's like, exactly. i got her hackles up. And she says, I'll get her to the mill. Is it set to go tonight? And Ben says, yes. Now, it hasn't been three days, so it's not time for Leo to do the thing. That should be the next night, right. I think. Um, but then we, she, and she's like, you can't call here after this or whatever. And he's like, I know the rules or whatever. And then she hangs up, and then Hank is there. He doesn't say anything. Why is he there, though? What's happening? I'm guessing Hank is a firebug, and he's the one who's going to set fire to the mill. Then why did they give Leo money and a time? Unless he's there to get rid of Leo, because there's some sort of antagonism between them two, remember? Yeah, because Leo got too big for his britches. Well, Leo also is not very professional. He's very erratic. He does what assassinating birds. Well, he's probably, my guess, he might be getting high on his own supply. Right. Um... So, um, all right, so I'm looking at the episode trivia. One of them was, this was the Caleb Deschanel directed mm. one, and he actually directs two more uh, episodes in the oh, series. this is the second season that he's directing? Uh, I would assume so. Yeah. Uh, the cherry stem scene with Audrey is easily one of the show's most iconic. Pretty risque for network TV at the time. There is a scene in the film, Dangerous Beauty, I think, that pays homage to it. And it's one of those ideas where I think, or one of those scenes where I think I've seen, you know, the, the, the echoes of this later on. So unfortunately, I was aware of the scene before I saw it. Probably right, right. was very surprising. Well, apparently, Sherilyn Fenn can't do it in real life, but Mark and I can. 
So Shelly can do it, but right. Audrey cannot. Um, and I don't think most people would be able to do it with the cherry stem that she had. It was very short. Mm -hmm. You'd have to break the stem a lot, right. which is, makes it harder to do. Why do I know this? We don't need to go into I, it. I, <laughs> um, what happens oh, when I no. jack stays when I jack. So, so in the scene in Ben's office with the Icelanders before yeah. they get on the van, uh, Ben is eating ice cream like out of a, it looks like out of just like a half gallon right. container. It's not even a pint. It's like a big thing of okay, ice yeah. cream. And I'm like, that's like super uncouth. Apparently it's just a visual pun because the brothers' names are Ben and Jerry. Uh-oh, <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. There no. was, I mean, that scene itself is very, again, this is part of the strange humor of the episode. The fact that they're seeing 99 bottles of beer on the wall. Yes, and, and he's like, you've got to teach, teach me that me these, song. These I'm strange like, exotic songs that you're singing. <laughs> but the, too, the, the scene with the bird, the reason why it made me laugh also, it harkens to another scene that probably predates it, which was in one of... Dario Argento's movies. Oh, it definitely predates it then, probably. Where someone's attacked by a bird and he shoots the scene like a murder scene. The bird gets stabbed and it hobbles around and, it and it's obviously not a real bird. But <laughs> it's, it's just shot with, he, it was almost as a joke, he shot it with the same intensity that he shoots any of his murder any scenes. Any of his murder scenes. And this scene seemed to have the same thing. It was shot with such seriousness. The blood splattered across the donuts and the tufts of feather and fur. Oh, or poor feather, right? And Did you even see the dead bird? I don't believe it. You see bloody feathers just and you bloody see bloody feathers. Like donuts. He, like the thing ex just straight up exploded well, and if, there's no If you bird hit left. a bird that size with a hunting rifle, I mean with a bullet oh, hunting yeah. rifle, it but probably would But it had to come through explode. a window, though. Right. Which they don't show a broken window, but it had to have come through right, a window. Right, it had to have come through the window. Because and, and nobody you, walked into the right. police station with a rifle like that. They're, they're not great cops. But they're not that bad. Right. Well, but see, also, again, the scene predating that with the detective kid, I don't know what Hawk did that um, injures Agent Cooper. He says, ow. Mm. At one point, well, he's... Um, oh, I assume that he taped his nipple or something. <laughs> it is a very... It's like a, an oddly funny episode with lots of strange kind of... Um, strange kind of humorous scenes. Yeah. And, but it opens up also with a really genuine scene between uh, Cooper and... Um, Audrey, yeah. Right, where he really seems to be regretting that he's put her and himself in this position yeah. by flirting with her. Yeah. And encouraging her. And that scene seemed to be really genuine. Yeah, and he does have this look on his face like, oh, like, she really did this. Right. Like, this young woman is really throwing herself at me, and I really... Have to say no. Have to deal with that to. right now, yeah. There's a... And I love how there's a subtle hint that... Not so subtle. He wants to treat her like a child. She's sitting naked across the bed from him. Yep. And he's he's trying, first of all, not to look at her. Yes. No, very he's very, look very studiously looking away. Um... And then when he tells her he has to go downstairs to get her, what was it, uh, malt? Two malts. And french fries. And french and fries. And it's such a, he's like, trying to. Like, we're kids. To, right. I'm going to be your pal. Right. Put her in the position of being a child, because obviously he's very uncomfortable with how she makes him feel, which makes it sad that this doesn't develop, because that's a very, to me, that's a very fun dynamic. 
Yeah, the fact but that she also gets, super inappropriate. Well, it's oh, inappropriate. This entire program is, you know. Well, yeah, but yeah, no, that's true. No, the, the only really relationship that you are rooting for and, and I'm rooting for is completely <laughs> morally wrong, you know. I don't think that's true. I mean, he's married, she's married. You know, granted, she's married to a criminal and he's married to an insane person. Yeah, but so it's they're, not. <clears throat> but they're both so decent that they won't. Yeah. They'd rather hurt themselves than hurt anybody else. But uh, yeah. Yeah, no, Leo definitely had something to do with it, right? right. But now, I don't know who else... I'm no, not sure how he expects to to actually work a rifle with one arm like that. Cuz well, he obviously he did. Is, I mean he I mean if he, We don't see him do it. Remember, we see We don't, him but he's also been at, shot in his his left right. his left. And he appears to be right-handed. Right. You could he could do that. And I don't, I don't think he lost I she's a terrible shot. I'm sure it like grazed the outside of his arm. He didn't. He was still wearing the shirt that he got shot in. Right. He had one bandage around it. It wasn't. The only time we see her using the gun, in the episodes previous, are as, as frankly, as, as like sex toys. Right. I mean, she's sort of burying it in her cleavage and <laughs> doing all these other things. Going, no wonder you don't know how to actually shoot the gun when you need to. And it's gonna kick to the right. Yeah. Right. And you're gonna sh- you're gonna shoot off this way, and then he's gonna be. Injured and bellowing like a wounded animal and right. super mad and will probably try and kill you. But something tells me that she probably so you should definitely just stay looked in your away house. and shut her eyes before she pulled the trigger. Well, she That's did. Oh, that is true. That's exactly it? what she did. I'm trying to remember. And like she didn't even she knew she shot him because he was yelling <clears throat> that he was in pain. Right. And that she shot him. That is how she knew. She did not witness it. <laughs> she closed her eyes. Um. Yeah, I don't know this whole yeah this whole town and then now Josie seems to be intense on getting Catherine up to the mill, but if they follow through with this and then expect everyone in this town is really good at being deceitful. Yeah, whether it's the woman you have who to just be deceitful in small towns or else everybody knows your real business. Right, well, as <laughs> as um, our our weekend foray to Peyton Place. Oh yeah, <laughs> kind of was a. But, um, yeah, because it's, the town waitress just shot her husband and she goes to work like nothing's wrong. And the woman who has a murder plot against her very calmly plots to capture her uh, antagonist, rather. Um, Or she doesn't believe that there's a murder, oh wait, there is? She plots. Yeah, that whole triangle is very confusing because I don't really know what Ben wants other than dollars. Right. Like, he seems to have a genuine affection to Catherine, but apparently he's going to bump her off. Right, exactly. For what, though? Josie gets a million dollars, he gets the land? Like, is that what We the... don't know what his part of the arrangement is. I know, it just doesn't... And then Dr. Jacoby, again, is another one. He's very good at keeping everything under his hat. And unfortunately, I think other than Cooper, he's probably the smartest guy in town. Well, yeah. And PhD, so he, MD. So he very easily outwits these kind of teenagers who are making these clumsy attempts at at um, trying to I'm expose them. I'm legitimately concerned for Maddie, not because I think Doctor Jacoby is a murderer, yeah, but because I don't know what he's going to do when he sees. Right, because her. yeah, because he's clearly unsettled by Laura generally. Right, and back from the dead, Laura. After I mean, because. 
That's the other thing that I was thinking about. Every episode's a day, right? So right. we're not even a week out. Yeah, it's just a very dramatic town. Not just a dramatic town, but like, they're still in the protracted part of the Laura, right. who killed Laura investigation. In the um, middle of a lot of personal grief for all the characters, so yeah. there's, no, there's no resolution for them yet. They're right. still, the entire town is alive with who killed Laura Palmer. Right. So you're still on board with the Wendigo? Uh, yes, I am. However, I am thinking that Leo, this episode really sets it up for the idea that Leo is responsible. Yes. <coughs> They've been pushing him. Right. But and they really, like, triple down on it this episode. Right. And Leo and um, also the newly returned ex-con seem to be the only people who are really capable of violence. The rest of them are all kind of pretending. Yeah, I think that might be right. They're all sort of, you know, uh, high school fights and brawls, but they're not on the level of, I'm capable of killing other people. Right. And these guys seem to be. Even, you know, Bobby, who says he's killed somebody, genuinely looks shocked that Shelley did a thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so, like I said, yeah, he's he's, he's down for the barroom brawl. He's down for the, the intimidating people in a cell. I don't think he has it in him to actually do the kinds of things, the kind of... Because what we're looking at with Laura is... Although, if he is trying to get James and Donna to crash that bike and die, then... But again, that's a very passive thing to do. It is a passive thing to do. You're right. It's not... Whatever happened to Laura was... Was it passive? Torture and sadism and... Yeah, so that was... I think that's way out of his league. And I'm still hung up on the paper... Right. Um, thing under the fingernail, which ties to that other case that he worked on, but we don't know anything no, about. No, still don't know anything about it. Um, so it's not a Twin Peaks-specific murder, which is what also leads me to think, Leo, because he's a traveler, right. right, with the truck. Also, he's got a lot of vehicles. Although I think I do think now that I'm thinking about it that that truck that he was driving mm-hmm. was uh, Jacques, Jacques Renault's. Yeah, I can't remember. Um, yeah. So I assume that the next episode's going to pick up and be largely this evening, mm-hmm. the same evening, because yeah, the One-Eyed Jacks is going to be a, like a perfect storm of Ben Horn seeing his daughter as a prostitute <laughs> while <laughs> trying to, to right. you know, pin down these Icelanders while making sure that the fire at the mill goes off because that's supposed to happen tonight, too. Like, right. it's a lot. Go- like, tonight's the night. <laughs> Which is really funny, because that's that was uh, his song in West Side Story. Oh no! Tonight, tonight <laughs> won't be like any night. Yeah, tonight, this night's gonna be the me. night before the big rumble. And so I'm just like, now it's that you the see it, right, I'm seeing, We're at I can it. just see him at One Eye Jacks doing karaoke, singing that song right before it all goes to hell. Yeah. Which one? Audrey's dad. Oh, okay. Richard Beamer was uh, his big song was tonight. Got you. And so that, that just... Yeah, no, it's all happening. And, but I'm wondering if, again, that was in the back of, of David Lynch's mind when he... <laughs> there's just so many connections you can make. Could you correct me if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. there's only two more episodes in the season? There's only uh, one more episode in the season. Are you sure? Yeah, that's what it says here. Realization time followed by the last evening. Oh, yeah. And that's it. And so, yeah, everything that's about to happen is the... the it's going to happen. Okay. Yeah. It's 
going to be pretty crazy. Looking at recommendations, yo. Mm-hmm. What are your recommendations this <clears throat> I'm going to be a contrarian, and I'm actually going to recommend the film Bright. I liked it. I, um, I have heard really horrible things. There is a review out, I don't know the reviewer, who reviewed the film, and the review seem, is so personal and so excessive that it doesn't seem like, I, I don't understand what the reviewer is going after. Uh, Bright is a Netflix film and supposed to be like a, a tentpole for them as they're moving their into... their first blockbuster. Right, with a major act, Will Smith. Yep. Joel Edgerton so, is, I think, a major actor Right, well. yeah, too, but you're getting, you know, a movie star, effectively. One's an actor, one's a movie star. Yeah, that's fair. And um, it's about a sort of a future, or not a future, Mm-mm. a world Alternate in which... world. Uh, characters... Tolkien's version of characters, orcs and fairies, and at one point we see a dragon flying around in the background. It's like the seven races. Right. Coexist with human beings. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to live in a world, and so there's all sorts of... Um, and uh, the, the crux of that review seemed to be that uh, a complaint about how there were all sorts of serious things suggested in the film, and it was just sort of a fantasy adventure. And it's like, could you please be more a reflection of our society and no, you know, it's a fantasy adventure with orcs a, in it. Right, exactly. And so I understand a <laughs> lot of people... And fairies, and elves. Right. And yes, at one point there is a dragon flying around in the background <laughs> for no reason. no reason. It's just, here's a shot of L.A. Oh, is that a dragon over there? Yeah. And there's a very neat, it. very quick shot also of a centaur for no particular reason yeah. that's kind of, you know, his own mounted officer. Yeah, um, but I actually enjoyed the film, and there there are some I can understand the problems with it, especially the fact that there are too many storylines to tie together neatly at the end. Yeah. But aside from that, um, the director, David Ayer, is really good with action scenes. I remember watching Fury and being really you know, and there are scenes, particularly a scene with uh, Will Smith and Joel Edgerton that takes place in a a stripping bar, a stripper a strip bar. club, yeah. A stripping bar? A stripping bar. A stripper <laughs> bar. I was trying to come up with the right terminology and be, you know, a respectful One of those nudie joints? Well, he has a word for it that I'm not going to repeat. Yes. <laughs> but, um, and Will Smith says some ridiculous lines with aplomb. Yeah, and he does. <laughs> this is one of the things he does really well. But um, there's a scene in there that is really intensely violent where you're thinking, uh, how the hell are these guys going to get out of here? This is this. It felt like end of watch. Right. It felt very dangerous, which is another one of his films. Yep. I know that he gets negative criticism because uh, Suicide Squad, yeah. which is a film he directed, was, and it's not really his fault. The film was taken away from him at one point and butchered, basically, um, but his name is still on it. So there's some negative criticism still left over from that. And... What's funny is that for some directors, negative criticism follows them. M. Night Shyamalan is another one where yeah. there are people who hate him based on something he did 10 years ago and not what he's doing now. Well, my problem with the pedigree of this particular film is not the director. I like mm-hmm. the director, actually. Um, I even didn't mind the way Suicide Squad was directed. It was written terribly and edited badly. It was edited really badly. But um, the writer of this film is problematic. <laughs> Yeah. He's problematic. Right. Um, and maybe fall in the will fall in the Me Too campaign. I've right. heard that there are some <clears throat> significant 
accusations uh, around that. My problem with him is uh, he's a douchebag. Just everything, all Mm -hmm. of the interviews and the tweets and the he's an entitled douchebag who keeps getting his stuff made. Um, That being said, I actually really like the idea of the movie. The writing in it is not great. So there you go. Good idea. Bad execution. But I enjoyed watching the movie. It was 20 minutes longer than it needed to be. All movies nowadays are 20 minutes longer than they need to be. And it actually suffered from the lack of an exposition dump. I think they were really trying to not have a... And right. here is the story of the world that we are telling you. But it really could have done with a little bit more of that because I was like, what are the stakes? Like, if no. they, if this person right. succeeds, if this bad guy succeeds in doing what this bad guy wants to do, uh, how bad is that? Like, is it the end of the universe? Like, what is the... When I was watching uh, Cell a few weeks ago... The... Stephen King adaptation? Stephen King adaptation, which is not very good. Um, One of the problems I had was the same thing. There was no exposition dump, and as a result, there's a villain that shows up halfway through the movie, and we're supposed to believe that he's important. And he altogether occupies about three scenes of the film, but he's the big villain in the film. Oh. And it's ridiculous, because I'm like, well, are we supposed to... What's... Then I need more. If suddenly this guy is in charge of this phenomenon, I mean... What I felt with this movie is that we didn't know until the last ten minutes how important things were supposed to be. Right. We didn't because I think they were trying to let us know things right. subtly, and it wasn't working. Right. It wasn't because Max Landis is not a good writer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead right. and say that right into the <clears throat> microphone. Hi. I don't think Max Landis is a good writer. Um. I yes. <laughs> I, I don't think we have to worry about. Yeah. I'd be more. Um, Probably more concerned with offending his dad, who I like more than <laughs> him. His dad raised him, so right. I've got some yeah, issues well, with dad, too. Dad also has, he, some of his uh, film criticism is really kind of Yeah, and that accident on set, not mm. ideal. Child death, right. bad, uh, for somebody's career. Um, and yet... Enforced for the kid. Yeah, well. But um, with but what I have to say about this with this particular film is that despite the fact that I heard a lot of negative criticism going in, I discovered when I watched the movie it actually, to me, filled the purpose that it was supposed mm-hmm. to fill. And there are some films I like. I mean, there's some movies I stick up for that nobody else seems to like. Yeah. I liked uh, uh, what was it? Uh, Future World. It was not Future World. Excuse me. I don't know what. A uh, Tomorrowland. Oh yeah. I liked it. I mean, and I was it, like, "Hey, George Clooney, get off that teenage girl." <laughs> there was, <laughs> which I mean, it had its own reason. I enjoyed Tomorrowland fine, but that relationship was weird. There, there needed to be a little more explanation for why, and it was you could figure out why he was so heartbroken that this twelve-year-old girl rejected him. But um, and but again, you know, I think that probably needed to be made clearer. But otherwise, I really enjoyed that movie. I really enjoyed John Carter. Which nobody seemed to like. Um, well, that's because it was made what sixty years too late, it and was then made. everybody just is like, "It's derivative," and you're like, "Uh, no, nope. <laughs> actually." But as somebody who grew up, especially reading the books, yeah, it really was. This is exactly how much fun it is to read right. Edgar Rice Burroughs. So this is another one where I feel like I know that people don't like it, and even I can say, "Oh, there's things I didn't 
didn't work for me. But, but on it's the whole, enjoyable. It's an enjoyable movie. Yeah. It's fast paced. Uh, I love I love watching Will Smith. I figured out I he if is, he's allowed to be <clears throat> right uh, as charismatic as he is. Right, it's great. If they make him an uncharismatic character for some reason after Earth, why did you do that? Right, then it's. Like a yeah, slog. Let's drain him of character and give him a funny accent. And I was like, I don't understand what that was about either. Yeah, that but was a shame. He's an actor who can work drama. Yeah. I forget the name of the film he did that I admired a lot with um, Woody Harrelson uh, about the character who is... Uh, Are you talking about Seven Pounds? Yes. You like that movie? You're the only one. I think that... But the performances in that movie were amazing. You should probably... I bet you'd like Collateral Beauty, too. I'm pretty sure that's also not great. But um, that's where he writes to... Uh, I, that, that concept is a little too hokey for me. <laughs> too it's like inanimate, was, like <clears throat> to, to ideals, and then they I, write back. I, was, uh, I caught like five minutes of The Shack on television. Oh, no. And I'm going... And it reminded uh-huh. me sort of like the Collateral Beauty. Does that have Joel Edgerton in it? Uh, I think it does. It? But, you know, it's like, I'm going to sit in a cabin with the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and we're going to talk about loss. And I'm, I'm like, there must be a more subtle way Is of doing this. Is it really that? Literally, I mean, the I Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And I knew it <clears throat> Yeah. Oh, no, Sam Worthington. Sorry, all white men look the same to me, I guess. <laughs> all Australian white dudes. But Except you, Hemsworth brothers. I know you. I can tell you. I can pick you guys out of line. <laughs> but yeah, it was just so... I'm like, wow, there, there, there could have been a more subtle way to do this, but this is what you're going to go with. I'm going to have a conversation with Jesus who's literally walking on water to a boat and talking to me about how to accept loss. Oh, good grief. And like, that I, is heavy-handed. Yeah, and that's what I felt. It's like, you know what? I love Jesus. That was too heavy-handed for me. I, that's rough going. Yeah. But yeah, and I think Collateral Beauty is about that heavy-handed. That's mm. what it feels like to me as well. Um, so your recommendation is Bright on Netflix. I'd recommend that too. Mm-hmm. I'll second that for you. Not that you care, but no, I No, 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 I agree. Yeah, it's, it's um, I did enjoy it. I don't know what I'm going to recommend. I had an idea, and then I have totally forgotten what it was. Hey, guys, watch Pitch Perfect. It's really fun. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. That's what I've most recently watched. That's a black hole movie. I went on to Netflix earlier today, and there are like 45 things I want to watch. I will say this. We're watching The Punisher. We're on episode Mm -hmm. four. I'm enjoying it so far. John Bernthal's really doing the work. Uh, He was in Fury, too, working with David Ayers. (laughs) He had the worst character name I've ever heard. I don't even remember. Kunas. I do not remember that. Yeah. I was too busy focused on, did Shia LaBeouf knock his own teeth out for this role? I think he might have because he's a broken man. And what's sad is that Shia LaBeouf is actually really good in that movie. He has the capability of being good (laughs) if he would just get a grip on himself. Yeah. Like, you're not God's gift to acting. I saw you on Even Stevens. Let's tone it down a little bit, sir. (laughs) But, um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, no, The Punisher is very good. I'm but you should give much. a warning. It's extraordinarily violent. Extraordinarily violent. violent. Just so that, you know, because I do that, I give recommendations. Yeah, I guess a like, lot of people are I saying, saw Suspiria too, and I hid under my bed for a week. And yeah, like, wait, okay, yeah, maybe no, I should warn you. 
and there have been several reviewers who have given it negative reviews saying that it is quote not what we need right now mm -hmm. which means you're a bad reviewer that's mm -hmm. not you need to review a piece of media or art right. on what it is not on what it is to you at this moment exactly. <laughs> that's not a, and but i can understand it's i think it's the same reason that people universally did not like iron fist mm -hmm. because it you're gonna make me i'm sorry i'm supposed to care about this rich white kid who has everything <clears throat> except parents like the, well, I, and, and is yeah. gonna whine about how he is like the country is in no mood for that I right think now what bothered well, iron fist was part of a very 70s group of superheroes mm -hmm. when there was still some novelty about white kid going to asia and learning right. mass but secrets yeah these. and so there's problematic and so in 2017 when we don't need to have that introductory character um it seemed ridiculous the fact that he's kind of granola to be the greatest martial artist in the world the fact that yeah. and then speaking yeah, as a yeah, martial there are artist, issues with that. But he's also a guy doing white belt moves, and we're supposed to believe that he's somehow well, a grandmaster. Well, yeah, master. but you're a very, <clears throat> that is a very marginal group of people well, who, are, who are well, looking and okay. watching it and going, that's not how he'd do it. Right. I don't know that, and most, I'm sorry, most people don't know what quote-unquote good, what I can tell you is, when I et you edit it and I can't see what he's doing, he's not good. Right. <laughs> that that I can, <laughs> and anyone should be able to tell. Right. If all I see is just flying hands and feet and I can't see who they're attached to, nobody in the scene is good at this. Right. Um, but I mean, I think that was part of it. The issue too is again, it's like if we're watching Batman, who has essentially the same background story. I don't think Batman is a strict or mm -hmm. like Batman begins right now. Nobody's gonna give about that. But I think for some reason it's still more compelling if I'm watching Batman Begins. It might and be. it's the same story. Loses his parents, well, goes to the Far East, becomes a ninja. He's a little bit right. older. Uh huh. And he's not a whiny <clears throat> bitch when he comes and back. And that's part of the issue. Is With, that but but looking at this blonde, blue-eyed uh -huh. thing, and then. Listening to the Trumps, the Trump yeah. kids talk about how they're being persecuted, and it's like, no, I can't, I don't feel bad for you. I won't feel bad for you. Uh, he gets way better in the Defender series. Well, because he becomes the butt Luke of the Cage, joke, like, I think. And, and <coughs> you have aud audience surrogates in the show mm -hmm. going, this kid's ridiculous. And yeah. we're like, Right? Yeah. But uh, also uh -huh. useful sometimes. Right. Well, I mean, what was the, 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 the tweet that the Jessica Jones... Um, I have no idea. They were doing that. tweets as her character. I have no idea. As what part of the about. series. And one of them was... Um, what was the joke? Jazz Hands has some moves. That's what she kept calling him in the tweets. Jazz Hands? Because it's like... I mean, it's pretty... I mean... It's pretty funny. Yeah, it looks silly. It, it, it looks ridiculous. The comic book is even more ridiculous. It's hard to realize what they had, which was like sparks coming from his hand, and that, right. that doesn't work. There's yeah, no way no. that's going to work. It's, yeah, but, that's tough going, especially because mm -hmm. it's the most supernatural, or really the only right. supernatural piece of the Defenders right. thing that, that looks supernatural, right? Like Jessica Jones and Luke Cage are supernatural mm -hmm. somehow. Yeah. They are more than natural right. if we want to use the look break it down but um they don't glow 
<laughs> That's not a thing. And the Punisher. Right. Just shoots people. Yes. In but, the face, um, usually. With he real mad. The Danny Rand character, I think it's the fact that he's constantly insisting that he's the immortal Iron Fist. Yeah, he's it's just he's asserting obnoxious. Asserting himself all the time. Mm-hmm. He's telling people, lecturing people on what right. to do. It's it, that was what really drove people crazy. It's it, yeah, it was it was a bit much. Yeah. So, but the Punisher's were the good. Punisher's actually very so good. far. Like I said, we're only <clears throat> on episode four. Yeah. And I I had something else, but I don't remember what it was, so I guess I'll save it, or it was mm-hmm. a dream I had. <laughs> it's highly possible. Some sort of period piece with women on a prairie, but I have absolutely no recollection of what exactly that was. I think it's on Netflix. There are several. Godless is one of them, and I'm going to start watching it. But with women on a prairie in particular. You can tweet at us, at LatecomersPod. I'm at Amity Armstrong. Uh, Lemuel is um, averse to Twitter. So far, I'm thinking about it. Oh, let me do this little plug, because he didn't do it for himself last time. Hey, if you want a good ghost story, you should check out Sealing Night on Amazon. It's a book that Lemuel wrote, a whole book of ghost stories that he should have talked about on Christmas when we talked about ghost stories. That's Sealing Night, S-E-E-L-I-N-G, night, not a knigget, but a night, <laughs> like the evening. Um, I'll put a link to that in all of the stuff this week. Um, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can find our page on Facebook if you look up Latecomers Podcast. I'm pretty sure we need to have a group. I'm still working on how to make that happen without bothering everybody who liked our page. Because I don't want to spam people, but also I want a fun group. So we'll see what happens. And that's everything. So sparky. So remember, better late than never. Bye. Could you stop fighting, please?